morning. <laughs> it's good to be with you this morning, and we are still in the book of Acts, as you heard, and we are in our new series, Unsung Heroes. This was Lester's brainchild. He thought of it, and I think it's a brilliant idea because we're often looking at the big guys, but we don't always look at those that are working behind the scenes, and so we're going to look at that, but I'm going to pray for us before we, we get started. Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather in your presence like this. We thank you so much for the incredible love that you have for us, and we want to say to you today that we love you. And Lord, we want to be your unsung heroes, every single one of us. We want to live to know you, and we want to live to make you famous. And so we pray that today, that through your word, you would speak to us, and you would show us how each of us can serve you better, and serve your purposes better in our lifetime. So this is your time, Lord. This is your time to speak to us, to work in our hearts, and to have your way in us. So we commit this time to you now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So many of you might know of Billy Graham. Who of you know Billy Graham? Oh, a fair amount. There's a patch there, but you will know after this. So he was an, a famous evangelist. He was born in 1918. And he died at 99 in 2018. At the age of 16, he went to an evangelistic crusade. And Reverend Mordecai Ham was preaching that day, and he got saved. Is the picture coming up? There he is. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've ever heard of Mordecai Ham. Have you? Who's heard of Mordecai Ham? Oh, two people, yes. <laughs> the older ones amongst us. But we've all heard, or many of us have heard about Billy Graham. But what if Mordecai Ham hadn't been that faithful one to go and preach the gospel and evangelize people? Maybe Billy Graham might not have fulfilled his purpose in God. And it is said that he preached to at least 210 to 215 million people. That is in live audiences in 185 countries in 400 crusades, that is beside on radio or on television. And this is what Billy Graham said, I'm not a great preacher and I don't claim to be a great preacher. I'm just communicating the gospel in the best way I know how. And I have found that when I present the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he takes the message and drives it supernaturally into the human heart. You might not get the opportunity, oh, he's gone. You not get the opportunity to preach to hundreds of thousands of people and ultimately millions of people. But this message is still true. This message is powerful. And when you preach this message, God by his Holy Spirit will drive it into the human heart that you will be speaking to. So like Mordecai Ham, there are many unsung heroes in the early church. And we want to take the next couple of weeks, as I say, to have a look at those. And had they not done what they were called to do, we might not have read in Acts over and over again about this incredible spread of the gospel, how the gospel spread through the known world at that time. And so it was the spread of the gospel through these faithful servants, planting of churches, and it wasn't on one man or one woman. It was several men and women working together that caused this to happen, and the word of God went out. Those faithful servants working behind the scenes, the unsung heroes. 
each playing their part to see the expansion of the gospel. So today, we are going to have a look, just like Mordecai Ham, that unsung hero, we're going to have a look at an unsung hero in the book of Acts, and his name is Barnabas. We're going to have a look at it under two headings. First, we're going to have a look at a bit of a character study and seven of his characteristics that we can learn from. And then we're going to have a look at servants versus celebrity. That's the second point. And then we're going to have a look at some practical tips on how we can learn how to be the servants that God wants us to be. So my first point this morning is Barnabas, not Paul. And so we often look at the the big names in the Bible, and we focus on those. But today, we are looking at Barnabas and not at Paul. And we're doing that because we want to drive home this message that every single one of us matters in the kingdom of God. When each one of us play our part, then the kingdom of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is advanced. And so today we want to look at Barnabas and look at his character and have a look at how God used him. Because on God's team, everybody is significant. Everybody plays a key role in God's team and in God's purposes. So if it wasn't for Barnabas, Paul might not have done what he did, just like Mordecai Ham preached to Billy Graham. Barnabas encouraged Paul, and so Paul was set up for ministry, and Paul was, be able, was able to become the apostle that God intended for him to become. So we're going to look at seven characteristics. Sorry. I need my table. Sorry, that was a bit clumsy. I'm Okay, let's try again. So we're going to look at Barnabas under seven characteristics, and we're going to see today what we can learn from him. So listen carefully to what God is saying to you from these characteristics that I'm going to highlight from Barnabas's life. What is God wanting you to learn from Barnabas's life? Barnabas's real name was actually Joseph, and that means expansion, but really the name that he was known by and remembered by was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Not son as in offspring, but son as in the characteristics by which he was known. And so his friends saw these characteristics in him and they gave him this name. So the first thing we see about him, we read in Acts 4 verse 36 and 37, is that he was a Levite. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he, field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostle's feet. So we see he belonged to the tribe of Levi, which was part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Levites used to serve in the temple. They led worship and they also taught the law of the Lord. And in New Testament times, Levites were also active. But Luke doesn't tell us whether Barnabas was part of the Jerusalem temple, if he, if he worked there. But he came into this world as part of a family of ministers. And he understood what it meant to serve God and to serve the people of God. It was his family heritage to be born into ministry, as it were. And so we are also born into the priesthood of God. When we become born again children of God, 
and born by the Spirit, we too are in the priesthood. It says that in Peter, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Barnabas was a Levite. He knew how to serve God and his life was given over to serve God. But we are also called to the priesthood today and we are also called to give our lives to serve God's purposes. Then the second thing we see that he was generous. There was a famine in, famine in the Roman world and Barnabas, with many others, took what they had. They had property or extra finance. They gave that money to the apostles, and it was distributed amongst those that were in need. And the amazing thing is, it says in, in Acts that they were one of heart. And they didn't hold on to their possessions as if it was just theirs. But they gave generously, and there was not one that was in need. Amazing. There was no one that was in need among them. And so he had done that. He gave what he had to the apostles and the needs of the people and his brothers and sisters were met at that time. And you can read in Acts 4 verse 36, that same verse. God is calling us too to have a heart of generosity. To look around at those, our brothers and sisters that might be in need. Maybe we need to give financially. Maybe we need to give of our time. Maybe we need to give of our love. Maybe we just need to sit and listen when somebody is in need. And wouldn't it be amazing if we looked out for one another's needs that we'd be able to say, there's not one amongst us that is in need. Wouldn't that be amazing? Then we see the third one is that he was a teacher. We read in Acts 13, it lists the prophets and the teachers there, and Barnabas is the first one to be named amongst those men there. And then you see in Acts 10, you remember when Peter was called to Cornelius' house, and there's this revival that takes place. They are saved, the Gentiles are saved, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and God does an amazing work amongst them there. And the church at Antioch is planted. And then we read in Acts 11 after that, it says this, News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And the next verse says that Paul and Barnabas stayed there for a year and they taught the word of the Lord. But he wasn't only a teacher. It says, and you can see in this verse as well, actually had a shepherd's heart. He was a pastor at heart because he didn't want anybody to fall away. He encouraged them. See that word again. He was an encourager and he encouraged them to stay true to the Lord. He wanted them to persevere in their faith. And then it says also that he led by example. And it was this combination of how he lived, how he cared, how he preached the gospel that many came to salvation. It says there that many were brought to the Lord through Barnabas. So he was in his, in his function as an apostle, he would have functioned as a teacher, as a pastor, as an evangelist. And he did that, and he did it well, and many came to faith because of that. But we don't have to be apostles to teach the word of God. 
Yes, there is an office of a teacher and those that are called specifically to do that. But each one of us can take the word that we're learning, whether it's at institute, whether it's in your personal devotion, you can take the word of God and you can teach it to somebody else where it will bring enlightenment and clarity to somebody else. And God is calling each one of us actually to know his word and to share his word the way Barnabas did. Then the fourth thing we see is that he was an encourager, obviously according to his name. And we know that Levites were not allowed to own land because the Bible says that their inheritance was God himself. What an incredible privilege. So maybe Barnabas sold, because you're wondering where he would have got the land to sell to be able to come and put the finance at the apostles' feet. We're not 100% sure, but we think that perhaps he had land in Cyprus that he sold, or maybe they didn't hold to those rules then in the New Testament. But he was generous, as we know, and he also understood that his inheritance wasn't in finance. It wasn't in land. But his greatest inheritance was in his relationship with God. That he knew God and that he got to love people and build into people's lives because that is what gives us an eternal inheritance actually, is when we build for eternity. And so this son of encouragement took that seriously and he built into people's lives and that is who he is remembered for. He is remembered by the name of Barnabas, not Joseph. He is remembered for the person that encouraged people. And we see two specific ways in which he encouraged Paul in very practical ways. The first one is that he recognized Paul's gifts and call. And you'll know from Acts 9 and 22, when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, He actually came back to Jerusalem and he was wanting to connect with the church leaders, but they were doubting his conversion and they were afraid because, you know, he had persecuted the church. So they were reluctant to let him in to their circle and allow him to be a part of them. But Barnabas steps in and he is the one who encourages and he says to them, you can trust this guy. His conversion is real. And we see Barnabas, the unsung hero, stepping in and opening up doors and setting Paul up for his ministry. Because he wasn't concerned for himself and his own ministry and pushing his own agendas. He was concerned for the church and what God wanted to do through Paul's life and the people that God wanted to reach through Paul's life. And how God wanted to just set him up as an incredible apostle apostle for him. He encouraged Paul in the purposes that God had for him. So Barnabas' purpose was to encourage Paul in his purposes. And the second thing we see is that he brought, he brought Paul to Antioch. In Acts 11, verse 25 to 26, it says this, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So we know that Antioch was the first Gentile church, and so this is very significant, that Barnabas looked for Paul, and he brought him not to any church, 
but he brought him to the church at Antioch. So we know that Peter was called to the Jews and Paul was called to the Gentiles. So there again, God uses Barnabas in the most incredible way to position Paul in the right place where he can be amongst the Gentiles and working and ministering to them there. So Barnabas uses his influence that he has with the leaders, with the churches, and he positions Paul in that very significant place. So each of us as believers are called to encourage someone else whether it's those that are struggling in their faith, maybe that are feeling a little bit weak, or even those that we see a call on their lives, we see a gifting in them, we see that God wants to do something with them, and that is all of us. But that we recognize that in one another, and we call that out of one another, and we encourage one another. Not so that we can look good, not that we would get anything out of it, out of it but simply to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we're scared to encourage one another because we're scared that the other person will get ahead of us, but not Barnabas. He wasn't concerned about that for a minute. He was concerned for the purposes of God. And then the fifth one we see is that he was human. The first thing is Barnabas experienced relational strife, just like you and me do sometimes. And we read in Acts 15, 36 to 41, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we don't know who was really to blame in that disagreement or that argument that they had. We know that Barnabas was probably acting on this gift that he has of encouraging, and he didn't want to leave Mark behind. But Paul was also wanting to be wise. But the most important thing that we need to notice is that the work of the Lord continued. In fact, it multiplied because then two teams went out. And Barnabas was able to take Mark under his wing and mentor him for that time. And later on, we see how the relationships were stored. And Paul refers to Mark as helpful in the ministry in 2 Timothy 4. So he was able to see the change in him, and they were able to have that relationship restored. So as humans, even as Christians, we are all fallible. And there can be conflict amongst the people of God, even those that God is using mightily. You know, we can't expect to agree on everything. That's unrealistic. We can't expect never to have conflict with one another. But we need to keep what is central, central, and that is the preaching of the gospel. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And should there be conflict between us, Matthew 18 tells us how to deal with that. We need to sort those things out, <clears throat> excuse me, and grow in our maturity but it mustn't stop us from doing the work of the Lord. And I think sometimes when we have conflict with one another, 
the hurt and the disillusionment actually hinders us and stops us from doing what God has called us to do. Then the second thing we see that Barnabas is human in that he was led astray. So Paul accuses Peter, we read about that in Galatians 2, about for being a hypocrite. Because actually he did believe that the Gentiles were saved by grace. But he started behaving in a way that was contrary to that. So he used to eat with the Gentiles. But then when certain Jews came along that still believed that Gentiles needed to practice certain Jewish traditions to be saved, then he would separate himself from the Gentiles. And so <clears throat> Paul sees that and is, you are not acting in line with the gospel. That's what he says to him. And then he says, I, I took him on face to face. And so Paul had to call both Barnabas and Peter up. And so we see that Barnabas was just human, and he could also fall back into the old, the old wineskins. He knew what the gospel said, and he was living by it, but he had a moment of weakness. And it took another brother to pull him up. There was that tough love moment where he had to be brought back into line and back into to the truth of God's word. And so often we in the church, we don't hang around enough for those tough love moments, for those confrontations. We don't like confrontation. Either we're not in community, we're not in close community, or when we have conflict, we run. Or when somebody comes up to us and challenges us about our beliefs, we want to leave the church. And so I want to say today, it's so important that I think every one of us are going to need, a, there'll be a moment where we'll need some sort of correcting. But it's because of love. It's because we love one another. It's not a condemnation. It's a correction so that we can embrace the truth of the gospel again and we can grow and be all that God wants us to be. Then the sixth thing we see is that he was a worshiper. Not one to be worshipped, but a worshiper. So in Acts 14, it speaks about how Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel, and there was a man that was um, lame from birth, and he got healed. And so this is what happens. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, uh, they brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. So they tore their clothes in mourning. Saying they were distraught that someone or those people would want to worship them and not offer glory to God because the glory belonged to God. So he was someone that was truly a worshiper of God. And so I want to ask you today, have you ever been tempted to take God's glory? If you have, do what Barnabas did and just direct it right back at God. Then the seventh thing we see is that he was humble. Barnabas and Paul were ministry partners. We read in Acts 3, verse 2 to 5. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. So they worked together. 
And like Duncan said, we read in, in Acts 15, no, it's actually before that, um, we read that um, it's Barnabas and Paul. And they listed their names according to their leadership and um, their leadership uh, positions and their importance. And so it was listed like that in Acts, Barnabas and Paul. And then from the second missionary journey, from about Acts 15, it starts to be Paul and Barnabas. And so did Barnabas' ministry end at that time? No. But God was raising up somebody else to a greater leadership position than him. And so what would we do if that happened to us? How would we handle that if God said, yes, you've served me here, but now I want to elevate somebody else above you? Would we be secure enough in ourselves to continue in the work that God had called us to do? Would we accept God's purpose for us and not wanting to do something that someone else is doing so that we could get the recognition for it. You see, we don't get to choose our place in God's church and in His grand scheme of things. We don't get to see or to know where He wants, no, we know where He wants to deploy us, but He gets to decide where we will be deployed and how we will be deployed. The only thing we get to choose is whether we will respond in obedience to what he is asking us to do in a response to that specific call that he has for each one of us. So that leads me to my second point. Servant and not celebrity. There are many celebrities in the body of Christ and often in the church there is this celebrity culture where we put people on a pedestal. Sometimes people put themselves on a pedestal and they want to be the center of everything. But we also need to remember there are people that have to be up front. There are leaders of large amounts of people and that is often necessary. But it's how they do it and understanding why they do it. Ephesians 4 says that God has called certain people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is often why they are up front and why they are leading. But their hearts should still be that of a servant. Those just responding to obedience to their specific call that God has placed in their lives. So we see there are some celebrities in the body of Christ, and we are aware of who they are, but there are many that are true servants, that have servant hearts, that have laid their lives down, like Barnabas did, lay down his life to serve the purposes of God. One of those is Brother Andrew, who passed away this week. You might know him too. He died this week at the age of 94 served Jesus faithfully behind the Iron Curtain. He started the organization Open Doors, which reaches out to the persecuted church. Another unsung hero that has laid down his life so that the kingdom of God, the church of the Lord Jesus, can be built. And so I want to have a look at some comparisons. And maybe it's good for us to check our hearts. Do we fall in the camp of being a servant 
laying down our lives and following the call of God? Or are we more of a celebrity? Do we have a celebrity mentality where we're wanting the attention on ourselves and we're wanting the glory for ourselves? Let's look at some of those comparisons. So a servant is selfless, outward focused, and he puts the needs or she puts the needs of others first, according to Philippians 2 verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But somebody with a celebrity mentality is self-absorbed, inward focused, and my needs come first. Someone with a servant heart has a stewardship focus. That is, whatever God has put in my hand, whatever God has given me, I will steward well for his church, for his purposes. A celebrity person might say or be more inclined to a prosperity focus where let's see how much I can get out of this. Servant-hearted people are obedience-orientated they know their identity in Christ. Celebrity-orientated people are performance-orientated. It's about doing things and doing things so that they can get the attention and they can prove their sense of worth. Servant-hearted people are humble and all the glory goes to God. Celebrities are proud and it's all about me and the limelight being on me. Servants submit to authority, God's authority, and authority that has been placed over them in the church or in other spheres of life. But celebrities, they want to be the authority and assert their authority. Servants are emotionally mature because their hearts and their lives are rooted in Christ. Celebrities are overly sensitive and they're easily offended because they're all about performance. So as soon as you touch that, then they are offended. And so I want to say to you today that it's good for us to search our hearts and see. Because, you know, neither Paul nor Barnabas were celebrities. And God used them in a mighty way. And if you had to speak to them, I'm sure that they would tell you that there was nothing glamorous about what they did. It actually says in, in Acts 15, it says, So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So them and many other disciples risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. It might have seemed that Paul got the better position than Barnabas did. He got to do so much more, and he seemed a lot more prominent than Barnabas. But did he? Was he actually more prominent in the things of God? Because the best and most privileged place for us to serve is the place that God has chosen for us. That's the most privileged place, and that's the place that we want to find ourselves in as an act of obedience to the one that has called us. So Paul, yes, was a little bit more prominent, but he would have done it out of this heart and this attitude. Whatever God called him to do, he would have done according to Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, I want to highlight what Duncan said last week. He said, God is not our servant. And I think in the modern world, that's sometimes what we think. God is here to serve me and to give me everything that I need. But God says we are his servants. He is the king of kings and our lives are to be laid down to serve him. We don't do good works to receive celebrity status. Jesus never received celebrity status here on earth. It was only when his work was done and he died, he was risen, and he was seated at the right and is seated at the right hand of the Father that he received all the glory when his work was done. But we are often looking for recognition here on earth. We're looking for celebrity status as we work for God and as we do good works. When we know clearly that the Bible has said to us, our reward is not here on earth. Our reward is in heaven, and our eyes should be fixed on heavenly things. And so for us to be true servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to embrace this. We need to embrace this truth, and we need to see ourselves as servants. We often call ourselves Christ followers. I think if we want to be Christ followers, then let's be Christ followers and do what he has done and how he has lived, how Jesus lived, and it speaks about it in Philippians 2, 5 to 7. Your attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness, in human likeness. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so my question to you today is, are you waiting to be served? Are you even waiting for God to serve you? Or are you thinking that you will look for any opportunity to be able to serve God and to serve his church and to serve his people? Are you seeking celebrity status as you do good works that God has called you to, hoping to climb, not the corporate ladder, but to climb the Christian ladder. David Platt gives an incredible challenge to us today. In a world where everything revolves around myself, protect yourself, sorry, yourself. Protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, and take care of yourself. Jesus says, crucify yourself. Lose your life. Lay down your life. Don't live for yourself anymore. So our hearts in this are so important and we can learn so, so many amazing things from Barnabas. But Barnabas had the right heart, but he was also gifted by God. And so I want to give you a couple of practical tools on how to discover what your gifts are and how God wants to use you because he's wired us all very differently. And he's given us a specific shape for our spaces, places, and relationships. And so I want to have a look at Rick Warren's SHAPE, an acronym. Acronym. Oh, my word. Okay. You know what I mean. <laughs> and in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he gives us acronym. I can't say it. Okay. That word. 
shape and every letter starts and stands for something else. And if you've got the book, I would encourage you to take it and go and work through it. But I'm just going to highlight a couple of things uh, from each one of those. S is for spiritual gifts, unwrapping your spiritual gifts. This is something that actually needs to be discovered. And there are many of those spiritual gift tests that you can do. But I often find the best way of discovering them is actually getting stuck in and serving in the church. And the same thing will happen that happened to Barnabas. The people around you will see what you're good at and see what you're gifted at, and they will begin to call that out of you. And so they saw that he was an encourager. So gifts are given. They can't be earned, and you can go and read about them in Corinthians 12 and 14. Again, we don't get to decide what those are. The Holy Spirit distributes them. They are for our benefit, yes, but they are ultimately for the edification of the church. Then H is for heart, listening to your heart. The heart is the seat of our desires, our hopes, our interests, our dreams, our affections. They are the source of our motivation. And in Proverbs 27, it says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. Our heart reflects or reveals the real you or me. But God has given each of us a unique emotional heartbeat. That thing that makes your heartbeat, is it a subject, a situation, a group of people? What is that one thing that you are passionate about? Because that will give you a clue as to where God wants you to serve. Then A is for ability. Apply your abilities. So God has given us each natural abilities. We're born with them, and you can go and read about them in Romans 12. And we're meant to take these God-given abilities, and we're meant to use them for His glory. They can be the fact that you might be good with words. You might have an athletic ability, a leadership ability. You might be creative and artistic. You might be brilliant at maths. That's not one of my abilities for sure. But each one of us have definitely been given abilities and strengths to use for God's glory. But the flip side of the coin is that often God will take us into places actually where we feel weak and we feel that we, we, yeah, we just, we're not strong enough almost to do that thing. And Sarah Young writes a beautiful prayer where she says, however, you have taken me along a path that has highlighted my need for you. Placing me in situations where my strengths were irrelevant and my weaknesses are glaringly evident. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where your strengths have felt irrelevant and your weaknesses are glaringly evident. So there are times, even though you have strengths, you will get into situations where you feel weak, but God does that because he wants to remind us that we are completely dependent on him, even with those gifts that he has given us. Then P is using your personality. There's no right or wrong personality for, for ministry. God has made us all different, and that diversity brings such a balance in the church. But we must remember that God wants to use us and use our personalities in ministry. There are many tools that you be able to discover your personality type and how God has wired you. There's Strength Finders, Myers Briggs, the Disc Profile. Have a look at those and see what personality type you have. Because the more you know and understand yourself and these giftings that you have and your heart, 
the more you will know where you can slot in, where you can best serve, and God can use those abilities. Then experience, employing your experience. We've all been shaped by our experiences. God never wastes any of our life experiences. We see that Barnabas was born into the tribe of Levi. He was born into a ministry family. He knew ministry. He understood how to preach the word of God, how to teach the word of God. God knew the plans that he had for him. And he used all those experiences to effectively use him in the church and to build the church. So I think there's a list coming up. Yes, the different experiences that we should draw on and look at and understand how God has used them in our lives and is using them in our lives. Our family experiences, our educational experiences, vocational experiences, spiritual experiences, and ministry experiences, and then painful experiences. I think this is the one that God uses the most to shape our hearts. As we read in Corinthians, that we will be comforted with the same comfort, or we will comfort others with the same comfort that we have received from God. So you might think to yourself, why? Why was I born into that family? Why did this happen? Why don't I have a job? Why did I lose this person in my life? And I want to reassure you today that God doesn't make bad things happen. We live in a fallen world, but this I know for sure is that He uses those experiences to shape us, to transform us, and then also for us to be able to touch other people's lives. And so I wanna give you a bit of homework. I want you to take that acronym and I want you to sit with a blank piece of paper and make some notes. Maybe it's something you can do in your study groups and you can start to process some of this and have a look at how God might be wanting you to serve in your spaces, places, and relationships. So in conclusion, We've seen some of the great qualities that Barnabas has and that he was an unsung hero because he was obedient to God. He fulfilled God's purpose for his life. You know, Rick Warren also said, if God used only perfect people, nothing would ever get done. God used Barnabas even though he was human. And so we have weaknesses, but we are a work in progress. God is always at work in us. He's changing us. He's bringing us to maturity. But if we have to wait until we feel that we are perfect, that we are strong enough, that we are clever enough, that we are confident enough, we are going to wait forever to do anything for God. So whatever God has put in your hands, in through any of these things, spiritual gifts, through your experiences, in your heart, whatever he has put in your hands, it is your job to take those things in your hand and use them. Step out in faith. That is what the book of Acts is about. God taking ordinary people, gifted by him, prepared and equipped by him, and then anointed by the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and they were able to change the world. Does it matter if we play the role of Barnabas or Paul or Mordecai Ham or Billy Graham? Does it really matter? No. What matters is that you and I play the role that God destined for us to play. But it starts with us saying, Lord, I'm willing. And so I want to end with a story. 
I got saved when I was about 20, and it was at that time that I felt God call me into ministry. And so I left my job, and I went to Bible school, and I had no idea how God wanted to use me. I, honestly, I was, you know, I was quite clueless about anything about Christianity. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I got to Bible school, and we did homiletics, and I didn't even know what homiletics meant. And that's the art of preaching, but so I learned what the art of preaching is. And so we did that, and we had to prepare sermons in the first year. The second year, we had to pre- prepare in the next, and in the second year, we had to start presenting those sermons. Oh, my word, okay. And then I realized, and I knew for a while, the incredible fear I had of standing in front of people and speaking. I couldn't even speak to small groups of people, a small group of five or six people. And so I prepared the sermon and I stood in the homiletics class and I probably, there weren't many of us, probably not even 10 people. And I read, I remember reading from Psalms, read the passage, and as I looked up, I just burst into tears and I ran out. And I lay on my bed and I sobbed. And my lecturer, Paul Alexander, said, bring her back. She needs to get back onto the horse. Bring her back. <laughs> and my class was very gracious, and I worked my way through that sermon, and I got through the first sermon. And then I remember going on a mission trip to Morocco, and I passed our churches, about five or 600 people said, can you just give a bit of feedback about the trip? Thinking to myself, are you crazy? I'm not getting up in front of all these people. But I did. But I had pumps on, if you know what pumps are. And um, my legs were shaking so badly that my, my legs were, my feet were coming out of my shoes. And talk about shaking in your boots. I was literally shaking in my boots. And I thought, I got done. And again, I said to the Lord, never again. Don't ever ask me to do that again. You and me, we are done with this thing. And so I remember one, my son's little friend, she does drama and then she said, oh, I love to be the center of attention. And I remember that moment looking and thinking, there are people like that? There are people that like to be the center of attention? Because I certainly have never in my life liked being the center of attention. So this has been something that I've had to push through for 30 years so that I could fulfill the purpose of God. So I felt the call. God has, has maybe has gifted me, I can't say God has gifted me in this way, to think like this, but I've had an obstacle. And I'm telling you this because I think sometimes there are people here that think you, God is calling you to something and it's going to be easy. But you might have an obstacle. You might have a fear of something. There might be something that is keeping you glued to your seat and saying, Lord, never again. I'm not doing that thing again. And God wants to work in our hearts. God wants to just firstly reassure us that he's got something for us to do, that he's gifted us in a particular way. But he wants to tell us that we need to be completely dependent on him, whatever it is that he is calling us to do. And that the greatest step of faith that you can take is to say, yes, Lord, I will do what you've told me, but I'm seeing the obstacle. The shyness for me was a huge obstacle. But I choose today to allow your strength to be made perfect in my weakness. And I will be obedient to the call that you have placed on my life. Because for me, the obedience was the most important thing. That's what made me push through the shyness. 
That's what made me push through the lack of confidence. And God has had to help me every step of the way. And so what is your obstacle today? Are you using that obstacle to disqualify yourself? Or are you using that obstacle to excuse yourself and say, yeah, you see, Lord, I can't speak. I told you I can't speak, so I'm shy, I'm introverted. No, leave me out of that one. Choose someone else. Choose someone that loves to be out there. Remember, we don't get to choose. God gets to choose where he wants to deploy us. And so... I want you to take a moment today just to allow God to work in your heart. And the band's going to sing. I want you just to sit quietly and do business with God. Maybe he's put his finger on a character aspect of your life, something that needs to change. Maybe one of these obstacles. Maybe you feel your heart beating as I'm speaking. It's racing because he's stirring your heart for a calling, for a work that he wants you to do. And I want to just say this. I, I, I really feel a need to say this, but... Those of you that are older in the house, it's not over until it's over. It's not finished until it's finished, till the fat lady sings. You might have done what I've asked you to do today several times in your life. And you think, yeah, okay, but I'm finished my work now. The work's not finished until you're in the grave. And so I want to encourage you to listen to Michelle Franzen's preach. She spoke at our breakfast. And if you need encouragement in that area as an older person, God's given her work to do at 54 or whatever she is now, yeah. And it's a new work. God might have a new work for you. Go and listen to it. It's on our YouTube channel. It's on our City, uh, City Woman socials. Go and listen to that message and be encouraged that God has a place and a purpose for every one of us, whether it's up front, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's a Paul, whether it's a Barnabas. He has something for you to do to add value to his church. So let's take a moment as the band sings just to consider what God is saying to us. And then Duncan's going to come up.